I'm Kevin Bachman. On this episode of Background Check Radio, my iCubed Advisors partner Jason Morris and I break down the year in screening, what surprised us, what scared us, and what we think's in store for 24. Stick around. All right, Kevin. Let's, well, uh, thanks everybody for joining our 2023 year in review webinar. Um, Argyle was nice enough to sponsor uh, this year's recap. Really, really excited to kind of go through a number of topics today. Like I, I had said for a couple of people that joined on early, I said, as usual, we have about 118 minutes of content. We're going to try and cram into 57, 58 minutes. Um, that, that uh, you know, tongue-in-cheek joke aside, like anytime we turn on the microphone, we start with a thank you. Everybody's got a day job. We're coming up on holiday season. There's a million things to do, not enough time in the day to do it, not enough days in the week to get it done. You chose to be here with us for the next hour. We respect that. We're honored by it. We're going to do our best to give you as much value as we can. Um, so Jason and I, of course, are partners in iCubed Advisors. We are a full-service boutique consultancy focused on the background check industry. If it touches this industry, we're going to talk about it, whether it's our product spotlight series, which we started doing, and Jason, you can roll forward if, if, if you need to, um, um, M&A, recruiting, advice, operations, consulting, sales leadership, market leadership. Um, this is who we are. We've been in the space for about 20 years. We now sit as kind of an agnostic kind of Switzerland. Um, we study the industry, we analyze the industry, we network, uh, we read financial reports. And, and like I said a minute ago, if it has to do with the screening industry, we want to be the people that you guys turn to um, for insight, info, and advice. Uh, again, we're happy to do this and thank you for, for joining us today. Um, let's go back uh, and a, a thank you again to Argyle for, for sponsoring us today. Um, really happy that they are with us and I'm going to kind of pull up their notes here. So Argyle is the leading payroll connectivity platform. They are PBSA accredited and their solution automates employment verification. So screeners can cut costs, speed up turnaround times and minimize manual processing efforts. For accurate cost-effective employment verifications, Argyle is the clear choice. You can learn more from them by visiting their website at argyle.com. Uh, Jason, let's roll over to our agenda real quick and then introduce one of our guests for today. Yeah, well, we've got to talk about what we're reading. Uh, Kevin, oh, yeah, that's right. Go ahead. New books. What do you have? Uh, so I just started reading. I just finished reading um, a, a book, um, and I just started a new one called Killers of the Flower Moon, which is just made into a movie about the okay. American tribe in Oklahoma in the 20s. A friend of mine said it was the best book he's ever read. So I just cracked that one open. How about you? Uh, I am on two right now. I'm reading Dreamland, which is um, not as happy as it sounds. It's it's essentially the tale of America's opioid crisis, um, starting with scientific research in the early 1900s on the morphine molecule, um, which obviously went into pain pills, both addictive and non-addictive, that... Um, um, that people abuse today, uh, but it starts with the drug trade in Mexico, the scientific research, the business elements of it. I am about 80 pages in, and I'm up to about 1950 in the story, so um, a lot to go on that, but it, it's, a, it's a very interesting um, a book that just really tackles a global problem from a bunch of different levels, society, the human element, the commercial element. So that's a cool one. Second one, I have Adrift by Scott Galloway. This is about 100 charts. And if you've heard me talk before, I'm a huge Scott Galloway fan. Um, the things he talks about, writes about the intersection of technology, business, lifestyle. Um, really, really important for today's times to just uh, be aware as, as to how those things uh, converge to affect our behavior, our buying habits, et cetera. So um, that's one I recommend picking up as well. Awesome. We're gonna jump. Yep, go ahead. We love to talk about books for two reasons. One, we love to tell you what we're reading, but two, it gives people time to kind of dial in and, and get situated while we start our webinar. We had about 250 or 260 people registered, which is close to a record for us. Um, and uh, people are still coming in. So we'll get started. Um, we have uh, definitely a lot to cover today. And I want to call out Kevin because Kevin and Nick for 20 years would call out every single typo that I would ever make on any document. And I had to fix Gorilla on this one, Kevin. So <laughs> you know that. Um, 
So what we're going to cover today is the economic uh, uh, review of the, the economic indicators and what's going on with the economy, uh, some litigation overviews. We're going to have Pam Devada uh, dial in in a little bit and, and give us an update there. Uh, we've got the one and only Jamie Tucker uh, from Aiken Gump. I was going to talk about some regulatory issues and regulatory things going on with, with the government and with PBSA. Uh, we're going to talk about public companies. We're going to talk about M&A activity. Where does an 800-pound gorilla sit? and the uh, pulse of the industry review. So with that, we're going to go ahead and kick it off and let's kick it off with, with Jamie. Thanks guys, and good to be with everybody as the uh, first year of the two year uh, 118th Congress is uh, starting to wind down. This also marks the, the conclusion of the third year of the Biden administration. And I sort of broadened the aperture a little bit there just to, 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 to set the table. Right, so we had uh, unified government for the first two years where Democrats controlled the House, the Senate, and the White House. Um, this year, the Republicans came in uh, with a uh, nominal majority in the House that has proved challenging from a governance standpoint. But you know, we had still a democratically controlled uh, Senate and a, and a Democratic White House, so that was always going to shape uh, what was going to move and not move legislatively in that construct. And usually, uh, even in, in uh, unified governments, you need 60 votes uh, in the Senate to move. Uh, and by definition, that requires bipartisanship. Um, in, in our space, it is very hard to come by bipartisanship. Uh, so it was a little surprising late in uh, 22 when there was a bipartisan privacy proposal that A, got introduced and moved out of the House committee uh, by a 53 to two uh, vote margin. What's been surprising is despite that uh, the display of bipartisanship late in 22, that has the privacy debate has not picked up where they left off. Um, that bill and that committee um, has given a fair amount of uh, rhetorical attention to the issue of privacy, but they haven't reintroduced that bill or any version there of it. Um, the House Financial Services Committee that deals with GLB and, and banking-related issues, however, came right out of the chute and passed a bill out of its committee in February, albeit on a party-line basis. But it has not gone um, uh, to the House floor, candidly, because of the, the thin nature of the Republican majority and some concerns uh, substantively uh, by enough Republicans to jeopardize passage of a, even a party-line bill on that basis. So the privacy legislation... Um, despite the momentum that, that started in 22 has really stalled. Um, as we would have expected with a divided government, uh, the regulators have certainly stepped in and with the FTC and the CFPB uh, and their leadership, which certainly view themselves as having a very progressive mandate, they have picked up the mantle. Uh, FTC has um, started the process by which they can promulgate a federal privacy regulation. Uh, that has been somewhat dormant uh, Chair Khan um, committed to the House Congressional Committee Chair that if Congress were to move forward, they would hold the, the regulatory um, uh, efforts in, a, in abeyance. And so my question in going into 24 is, knowing that um, they have control of these agencies only through January 2024 with any degree of certainty, does the commission move forward uh, with a, the next step in that regulatory process on a broad federal privacy reg? Uh, down further downtown over at the CFPB, um, uh, Chopra has uh, marshaled the beginning of a, an FCRA related rulemaking. PBSA um, was able to secure a witness in a small business advisory panel uh, that was a precursor to that process. Chopra uh, testified a week and a half ago before both the House committee and Senate committee. Uh, and basically said more to, more to come. And so it has been a very um, active regulatory 23 with that likely to come uh, in full fashion in 24 with uh, given the, the deadline that the administration knows that they only can push things uh, so quickly. Um, speaking of regulators and the CFPB, uh, we expect the Supreme Court decision on the constitutionality of the funding structure of CFPB and whether it needs to be subject uh, to congressional appropriations and oversight uh, to come down. Uh, should it rule that um, that structure is indeed unconstitutional, uh, it's gonna scramble both the regulatory and legislative agenda um, quite significantly. Now, the House Republicans, uh, in anticipation of that, has included um, CFPB funding in their annual appropriations process 
um, that will get resolved in January or February. So they've got a placeholder to be able to address that uh, topic should the, the court rule that way. The Senate, controlled by the Democrats, weren't going to concede uh, anything on the constitutional structure of the funding. They do not. Uh, but suffice it to say, um, it will it will set off a tug of war uh, once that ruling comes down and if it comes down in that fashion. Uh, legislatively, um, it, going into an election year, presidential at that, where both parties do their national conventions in the summer, um, they've got a lot of unfinished business that they've kicked the can on. And so they come back in January and February to do work that was supposed to have been done by September 30th of this year. So that takes you know six weeks off of uh, the clock uh, that they've got to do. They've got an FAA bill, they've got FISA, you've got campaigns issues. So it's gonna be a very limited legislative window um, to, to move anything that will require that bipartisan basis. And so uh, as you look into 2024, uh, we're gonna be devoting a lot of our efforts uh, on the regulatory uh, side of things and uh, it will uh, not be a dull moment. For sure, and look forward to partnering with many of you on this call who volunteer um, and so many various capacities that that help uh, raise the voice on these issues. I'll pause there. Kevin, I've got any questions, Jason? Yeah, Jamie, that was awesome, and and I appreciate it. And and you know, kudos, especially on on short notice for joining us. I think this is great because you know usually we gotta we gotta hop on an airplane to kind of hear this this kind of insight. Um, so I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, either the annual or the mid year show. Um, I, I had a question, and I'm just from from your vantage point. You know, in times of congressional gridlock, do do regulators feel a, a heightened sense to act, or are they just kind of doing their own thing regardless of of Congress? I, I think both can play out. I will say, I think given uh, the leadership at both uh, the bureau and the commission, I think um, they perceive themselves to have a mandate. Right? They're probably two of the most progressive leaders of those agencies. Um, certainly in modern history, and certainly, I mean, the Bureau has a limited history, and, and so you can certainly say um, uh, that, that he is probably the most progressive we've seen on that front. And so I think they, they come in with that perspective and recognition that they've got uh, a limited window uh, where they know that they've got um, the governing pen, so to speak. And so I think they're trying to push the envelope uh, as far as they can in as many directions as they can, not just on those issues related to us, but you, you know, you, you see what the FTC is doing on, on merger review. Um, you know, but I think both agencies are pushing the envelope and are, you know, fine to let the courts ultimately sort out um, whether what they did was appropriate. Meanwhile, uh, those regs have been on the books uh, for, for years and companies have had to adopt uh, to com for compliance purposes uh, until it plays out on the, on the litigation side. Okay. Okay. Um, and, and kind of restating something I, I heard you say before, uh, make sure that we heard it right. The uh, upcoming Supreme Court ruling on the constitutionality of the funding doesn't mean the funding goes away. It's just everything gets in flux because now if it's ruled unconstitutional, it requires congressional action and it's just uncertainty, right? Right, right. Now, the court could issue a stay that, that gives Congress time to act to provide that funding. Um, but I was just with a member of the Financial Services Committee, a, a very strident conservative member uh, who was supportive of funding for the CFPB. And so you'll have this very divided Republican conference. There will be a number of members that say, nope, I don't want, I don't like that agency. I don't want to fund it. Uh, and so that becomes a push and pull. And, and so do enough Democrats come along uh, to support a bipartisan approach in, in a funding effort? It's like I said, it's going to be a tug of war. Um, it will have far reaching implications. Cool. Thank you. That was great. Uh, Jason, anything on your end? No, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to dial in. If you want to hang out in the green room while the show's going out, we get a fully stocked bar and uh, some buckles and stuff. <laughs> I'll be right over. <laughs> And, and we look forward to having having more of Jamie, you know, maybe next year. Um, like like I said before, like Kevin said before, this was kind of last minute, and we're happy that you're able to dial in and give us a little update. Great. Nice to see you guys. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you, Jamie. All right, Jason, let's pivot back and uh, and go through the economic uh, review. Let's let's uh, review some government metrics and and statistics. Yeah, as per usual, too. If you guys have questions during yeah. this, throw it up in the chat. If we can get to them, we will. Uh, if not, we can try to answer them either through uh, through blog postings or stuff we post on LinkedIn. So I think I think as we start looking at the economic data and you know a lot of empathy and sympathy, especially for business operators on the call, you have to live in both sides. 
Um, you have to have all these competing thoughts in your head at the same time. What if the economy contracts? What if it expands? What do I do? What business decisions am I making? What happens to my strategy, et cetera? Um, I saw something the other day about a, a pundit and the 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 comment was something like, oh, this pundit has has accurately predicted 48 of the last two recessions. And while we kind of absorb what we have here, I think the narrative, and Jason, I'd love your thoughts, the narrative has been for most of 2023, the sky is falling, the glass is half empty, doom and gloom, et cetera. I didn't quite feel that way, but I'm not an economist. I just kind of thought, hey, run your business, run your business until you see actual events. We didn't see a lot of actual events. Jason, as you kind of look through this, what's, what's your take on on where we stand? You know, it's it's weird. I see, I'm seeing some very small signs of somewhat of a recovery uh, here at, at very, very, very small, but I've gotten three or four calls in the last two weeks for recruiting. Uh, to me, that says background screening companies have a little more money. Uh, maybe their volume's up. Maybe they're trying to get ahead of the curve and, and, and really start uh, hiring some salespeople. Um, but the 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 other side of that is I, I really don't feel you're going to see much growth anywhere with interest rates as high as they are. Um, and, and, and the more I've studied and learned about finance in the last couple of years, and the more I read about it, which I've just become a nerd about the stuff, is interest rates have an effect on so many different things. And, and especially with M&A, we've seen that kind of slow down to a, to a halt. Um, so I think until we start lowering rates, and that's supposed to happen next year, but you know, just so everybody knows, they don't go from you know eight percent to two percent. They slowly go down, just as they slowly went up. So the effect of that, I think, is going to be a bit slow too. But um, you know, our industry is is a great indicator for the broader world because we see these things months or a month or sometimes. Yeah, we're the we're the canary. I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, you know, everybody relies on these ADP payroll, ADP announcements every quarter and what payrolls look like. And, and we know these things well before that. So I think that we're a really good economic indicator. Once we start seeing a tick up on the screening side, um, I think we'll know where the economy is going. Yeah. And, and a few quick thoughts. You, you know, I mean, like we said, we're not economists. We're not financial analysts. We just play one. Um, on, on webinars and podcasts, uh, a couple of things I'll point out. Full-time employees, we're at an all-time high. I, I think that's representative of population growth. Um, so I, I, I'm not popping champagne because we're at an all-time high. Labor participation rate is is uh, important to me. Uh, quits, new hires, and job openings, which all come from the JOLTS report, which if you haven't heard of us talk about that before, it comes out every month. Um, it's one of the first things I read when it hits my inbox. But, you know, to, to your comments, Jason, uh, I, I agree the fall for us and heading into the winter, certainly much busier, a lot of M&A activity and, and conversations, recruiting conversations, look under the hood, business projects that we're working on um, the summer. We didn't have as much of that, I think, because everybody was waiting for the shoe to drop, uh, which was fine because I'm on a, a ball field all summer. So that that worked out pretty well. But, you know, I still kind of look at this data and, and my, my you know, my, my guidance is... Um, Large companies, which we'll get to in a bit, they live in a macro level environment, okay? Many of us here are in the micro. Some of the numbers we're looking at in data points here might not have anything to do with your, your, your business. Um, you're affected by things that aren't necessarily um, um, cyclical. So run, run your business. Um, you'll, you'll kind of know when you know. So that's kind of my thoughts as, as we look through here. Well, let's let's talk about the micro effect. I was going to talk about this a little bit later on, um, but the micro effect, you know, for those of you that are maybe considering, you know, switching jobs if you're in sales or whatever else in the industry, you know, for for years for this industry, it was such a I'll call it a buyer's market. You know, the employees can really dictate what they wanted, benefit, salary, anything else, and now there's an incredible amount of talent looking and very few positions open. So I think that's flipped a little bit. Um, when we see that kind of flip back the other way, I think that we'll see, you know, some some significant growth in the industry. And that's what we'll, those would be some of the signs that will show uh, down the road. So we we didn't, uh, and and like we say, Jason and I don't necessarily spend a ton of time planning and talking about this. This is this is very organic when we get together and talk about this. So you said something I wasn't planning on talking about, but I'm going to go on my typical 60 second rant on this topic. You had said, hey, you know that balance between open positions, who's hiring, who's expanding, uh, and we have some of that later with our Pulse of the Survey industry results for those of you that hadn't caught our webinar on that before. Um, I, I continue to be, I don't know if flabbergasted is the right word, frustrated, judgmental, but 
sports teams don't go 500 and say, this is my team. They try and get better. And in business, I'm always shocked at organizations that say, this is my team. Well, how'd you do last year? I didn't make any money. You, yeah, we didn't sell much. Well, we fell short of our sales goals or what I like. And, and I don't judge the people. I judge the actions. Uh, where, where I get frustrated, Jason, to your point is in times like this, when there is an overweight of candidates to open positions, and it hasn't always been that way, but right now we have more talent than there are open positions in the market and organizations that are not looking to improve their teams. And it, I've said before, this is as cold hearted as I get from a business perspective. I'm not telling you to increase your payroll. I'm telling you, if you've got a sales team that isn't in their numbers, there's really good salespeople out there. Go find somebody that's going to help you improve and, and, and grow your business. Um, probably the most frustrating part for us as advisors are organizations that aren't willing to replace current members with those who are better. Yeah. I, I don't see a better way to improve your business than doing just that. I, I also wonder about, you know, what budgets have shrank because of interest rates, the companies that have, that have uh, you know, done a lot of acquisitions or done any acquisitions in the last five years that are on variable rates you know, they're getting killed right now in interest rates. Um, so, you know, with those payments going up and servicing that that goes up, you know, your, your, your budget for special things like that goes down. Yeah, I wonder, and I think, and, and we can move on to, to the next section, but how much of that is big company, small company stuff? I think small company, if you're running your business, you're not taking on a ton of debt, you you manage your cash right, you, you have some dry powder to play with, whether rates are at 6%, 3%. I, I certainly get and agree with what you're saying. I think that is probably an, an upper end um, CRA issue than than a, than a lower one. Or if you're a midsize that is that is taken up that for some of the yeah. it's definitely having an effect. Um, you know, everybody thought for years and years we can overpay, we can overpay because everything was great. And now everything isn't great. Interest rates have gone up. It's having a big chilling effect on, on a lot of CRAs and what? suppliers. The, the most interesting number here that I'll continue to look at into, into 2024, and in about a month, we're going to do our predictions webinar. So we're teasing a little bit of this here, but quits will continue to be the most important metric that I look at. Yes, we're in a post-COVID world. Yes, that tug of war between come to the office, work from home, you know, is starting to level out a bit. Uh, like you said, employees are having less power. Corporations are having a little more power in that perpetual tug of war. But just this continued idea over the last 20, 30 years that people don't work places for 30 years, retire and get a gold watch. They're going to move on. Quits to me is one of the best, strongest indicators of the future potential for growth in our industry. And, and I had a M&A conversation yesterday, Jason, to kind of tie this point together. And we talked about interest rates a lot, much like you, you, know, you had said, interest rates and earnings and valuations, et cetera. But I think the fundamentals are still there for this to continue to be an industry that people can make a lot of money in. The more people that quit their jobs, I think the better it is for this industry. So I mean, that's the most important takeaway. Yep. All right, well, let's skip uh, Pam's part until she yeah. dials in and skip hit this yeah. part. Let's talk about the public company. Thanks, James. Yeah, Jason, what, what jumps out at you here? And then I'll explain what all the asterisks mean. Well, I'll tell you what jumps out at me because another article came out about it this morning, but higher rates going to go private. Um, uh, their uh, General Atlantic, I think, announced this morning the term sheet, um, non-binding, uh, is an offer to take them private again. They announced it a couple of weeks ago. That they wanted that to happen, and it looks like the the ball's in motion. So, um, I, I'm not smart enough in finance to understand, you know, what the benefits are to doing that. Maybe they sell sold high and they can buy low and sell high again. Um, that's probably really what it is. But um, I haven't heard anything coming out of Sterling or First Advantage that 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 can happen there as well. So uh, it's interesting to me. I don't know why it's interesting to me because I don't understand it enough to know. But it's interesting. Yeah, and uh, that that's something we kind of alluded to in a, in a couple slides later. Uh, so you stole that slides thunder. That slides <laughs> well, pissed at you now. That's what happens when you get me the slides ten minutes before the webinar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you know, Equifax and 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 Meridian Link. Um, Meridian Link was was a surprising number. Now Meridian Link, um, and and I know we have a couple of their people on our call today. Uh, their business is overwhelmingly a vast majority is not this space. Um, it, it's in other areas. Um, 
if I'm a Meridian Link user, I'm looking at this and I'm like, you know, where, where's my integration? Where's my innovation, et cetera. So um, I, I could understand that a segment of this call might be a little frustrated seeing how well the organization is doing. Um, you know, like you acknowledged, a, a, a share price is not the total indicator of a company's value or, you know, future abilities, et cetera. But um, I'm probably a little frustrated if I'm a Meridian Link user right now. Uh, Equifax is... $5.2 billion, give or take. Um, so that that was kind of the asterisk that we put in there. Same logic with Meridian Link. What is really interesting, especially we'll talk about the 800-pound grill in a minute, but when we think of um, company size, you know, right here, three biggest companies in, in our space. Um, Equifax's workforce solutions division is approximately, give or take, a, a $500 million division. Um, that includes many of the things, products that that this industry buys. Um, workforce solutions, which we'll talk about later, uh, most profitable, highest margin, fastest growing um, division of, of Equifax. So we'll dive a little more into that later. But, you know, this is not so much to say for everybody here, hey, if you're not 700 million, you're bad. You know, no, that's, that's not it at all, right? It's just, hey, we're the largest players in our space. This gives us a sense as to what the total market is of the industry. And, and, you know, these are the companies whose earnings report we listens to and, and the investor presentations we watch, et cetera. Um, and, and maybe the last thought before we move on, Jason, um, these stock prices are, are certainly for first advantage, higher rate sterling. These, these are on the uptick. Um, there were, you know, at various points during the year down 30 to 50% from their 52 week highs. This is kind of January today and they've, they've rebounded nicely in the last month. I'll tell you what's interesting looking at these numbers, um, and I know a couple of people on this call are going to get a chuckle out of this, but if you look at first advantage higher rate and sterling, just the three of those, they together, and I have to, I, my numbers are probably a little bit off, but together they have an enterprise value of over of around $5 billion total. Checker today announced they're offering, and in the article mentioned that their enterprise value is $5 billion. Yep. Yep. Thank you for saying that. Cause as I ran through that, I was thinking in my head, you know, they're, you know, the, the highest valued company in our space, as we understand it, is still not public. At a fraction of that revenue. So, yeah. you know, and, and again, we, we, we're agnostic here. We, we are not speaking pro or, you know, for or against what, what they say, but it's worthy of a discussion at some point. Um, the reason enterprise values of a company like Checker um, are much, much higher and much, much higher multiple because they consider themselves a software company, not a service company. Um, first advantage, higher rate sterling do not consider themselves software companies. So now begs the question, are they a software company? So that's a topic for a later date. Um, but I would tell you that at a five billion dollar valuation, they're larger than the entire industry. Yeah, or or why checker and not the others? Right. You, you know, but you're you're right. That that is an entirely own uh, standalone. All right. So I snuck this in. That this is a tease for the 2024 predictions um, webinar. We've seen a number of the, the same CRAs that on the last slide either purchase or partner with identity solutions. And I'll, I'll make this quick comment, Jason, because I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Um, it's hard for me to get to a place intellectually where I think that a background check should not include identity solutions. And I ain't talking about I-9 and E-Verify. Right. So larger companies are either establishing or purchasing outright um, organizations that can allow them to offer that to their solution, to their CRA clients. Much of the rest of us can't. Will there yeah. be a third-party licensed solution, et cetera? So uh, I'd, I'd love to hear you on that. So I'm glad to put the slide in here because um, one thing we, we skipped over was, you know, shout outs and we'll do that. We'll be able to do that. Yeah. But I, I do think that identity uh, solutions is going to be, uh, it, it already is large. I know it's big now. I, I don't know um, the value behind it as far as what they can, you know, companies can charge for it. But I do firmly believe, firmly believe that with very quickly, this service will become an expectation of your clients, not a want. And the yeah. reason I say that is because if you look at even three years ago, you know, with DocuSign, I stopped dealing with vendors that couldn't send me something to sign electronically because I'm never home and I don't have access to a scanner and printer at all times. So it became an expectation of mine and lots of businesses that if you can't sign something electronically, 
same deal. You know, you don't want to use them. Now with identity solutions, we have a large percentage of our workforce working from home now. Identity alleviates the need for the HR person or recruiter or somebody physically to look at your ID, you know, scan the documents, whatever you need for identity solution. Instead of being able to take a picture of your license and a picture and do a, doing a selfie and have it go through the motions of identity solutions. Eventually, end users are going to expect that you have that because their workforce is going to need it. I don't know when that time is. There's going to be an inflection point there, but if identity solutions is not something that's in your in your um, war chest, I, I I think that it's something you need to think about pretty quickly. You, you know what I compare it to, Jason, as I as I listen to you talk about your expectation in DocuSign, and I've I've made note of this before, but I've never connected it to identity. You know, twenty years ago, and the purpose is not to give a history lesson here, but you know, you, you think of order entry systems, and if you're on a third party platform, even if it's a proprietary system. You know how user friendly it is. What's the candidate experience like, et cetera? And and my point isn't to talk about that. It's just to compare it to your comment around expectations, right? Um, Staples.com had a clunky website. Amazon hadn't yet taken off, right? So me punching in an order, or it maybe not being the most awesome experience, like whatever. That's where the technology and that's where the buyer's expectations were then. What happens in 2006, 2007, 2008, the iPhone comes out and, and just technology improves. So the, the things that we would sacrifice and be okay with in our commercial life and our business life, we became far less tolerant of because our personal life and, and our leisure life, the technology became so much, so much better. So tying it into what you had just said, I, I, I agree. You know, if we think of, and I did this research this morning, if we think of two-thirds of the market, two-thirds of the revenue flowing through the screening industry <clears throat> are with companies that offer an identity solution. Two-thirds of the revenue of the screening industry covers six companies. So 98%, whatever, <laughs> can you offer identity? And we're here sitting, you, you know, again, this is the sneak preview of where we'll be in a month, but... I, I think 2023 is is the year of the foundation with identity. And 2024, I think we're sitting here in 12 months and saying, wow, look at how much this has been adopted. Well, I mean, the thing that sucks about it is I don't know if it's something that you're going to be able to make money on. I mean, it just might be something that you have to have. You know, I was I went I was at the airport on, on Saturday, I had to go to Denver and you know, Clear is upgrading their entire system where if you've been scanning, you need to get rescanned because they have a whole new val validation system behind them. And companies are starting to use Clear for identity purposes. So it just might be something you got to spend some money on to tie in. I don't know that you can immediately charge for that as a service, um, but but it's going to be really interesting to see. And, and big and, the technology is awesome. The technology is really awesome. The fact that you can, you can validate somebody's identity online with your iPhone it's pretty damn cool. Yeah. All, All right, right so, let's move on. We got M&A next. So before we do M&A, let's take a, a one minute break and uh, and do our shout outs. Um, we've got to do them this time. I've, I've got two. Uh, one is anybody that is doing identity solutions right now, because I think you're ahead of the curve. And the second uh, would be Alliance. Uh, Alliance starting their screening university uh, portal with Kirk Schwal. Um, I think it's innovative. Uh, I would maybe I won't use the word innovative because we did it back in 2004 with Employees Screen University, but they've taken that to a whole new level. Uh, and I really commend them for being out there and, and being thought leaders and educating the marketplace. I, I, I like that as well. Uh, my shout out, I think, is more, more um, generic. It's not company specific, but there's a number of organizations probably in the last six weeks that have said, hey, we're, we're hitting the end of the year. We have some budget. Um, we think we're okay, but we've just never had anybody look under the hood. You know, we're we're a 50-person company. We're a leadership team of six. Our best ideas come from us. Like, we don't know what's going on, and people won't talk to us because they're competitors. So, you know, there, there are some organizations, and again, we, we say all the time, we don't judge, um, where you walk in and it's it, it, it's a shop on fire. And, and that's fine, right? This is what we do. Um, but I have a lot of, lot of respect for organizations that say we're not on fire. We just want to find out how we can get better. So um, we're doing a couple of those these days, and those are always really fun companies to, to work with. And this should be a good kick in the butt for those that aren't innovating or they're just repackaging the old crap. 
uh, under different names and stuff, and I and and raising the prices on them. I, I mean, you got this is an industry that's that, that's growing from Silicon Valley coming in and thinking of new technologies to innovate in, into the space. Um, 2023 as we come out of a you know this economy and get into 2024 and 2025, people are going to be looking for new things. Um, yeah, and th- and that was that was kind of um, yeah. I I mentioned M and A conversation I, I had this week, Jason. You talk about private equity coming into the market, and there was the sense that you know uh, like how uh, how much is there really? And my comment was like it's you know it's all relative. I mean, rewind ten years, and you know very very little of it you know outside of the the, the larger. Um, organizations. So our recognition is there is capital hitting our industry because there is a recognition from people whose entire job is to seek out higher returns on capital, that this is a place they can do that in. That's really cool and pretty pretty exciting for our space. Um, so we talked a little about the, some of the secondary uh, acquisitions, uh, private to public to private, that's higher, right? Um what, what do you see? What do you think of Jason as, as we kind of look back with some of the other things here? So as I said in the beginning of the webinar, I'm trying on contacts right now, so I can hardly read, but I'm trying to read my notes here on the acquisitions that took place in 2023, which is not going to go very well, but... Uh, That's okay. We're all going to have fun watching you uh, struggle. Higher <laughs> I bought a company out of Argentina uh, in the beginning of 2023. Uh, Sterling bought A-Check America. Uh, there's a, I really can't read this. This is crazy. Securitas Limited out of United Kingdom was acquired by, by Sterling. Uh, Crimcheck was acquired by Disa. Uh, Higher Image and, uh, and InfoCubic were both acquired by Orange Tree. And uh, Vero Screening was acquired by After Background. So those are the ones that were really public. There were a couple of smaller ones. Um, Five Diamond Screening was acquired um, by AccuSource, um, Dan Philby and Company. And, Purchased my good friend Kat Aldrich, um, and uh, there's a couple more small ones that are unannounced, uh, but those are the big ones that really happened within the industry this year. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm interested um, what 2024 will bring. Right? Will we see a 200 million dollar company buy a 200 million dollar company? Will we see a merger? Certainly at the top of the space. I I I can't I can't wait to see um, what the what the future holds. Um, you know, I've, I've, I referenced some of the the PE calls we we had had lately, and one specifically was around the idea of well, well, why can't we join them? Like, why can't we go from zero to two hundred million? And the answer is you 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 can. It takes time, it takes money, it takes strategy, it takes effort, et cetera. Um, but we really, to to my broader point, um, the the middle of the screening market has really been hollowed out the last four or five years. And I don't think that comes as a surprise to any of us. Um, I'm really interested in seeing who steps up to join the club. And it doesn't have to be you take a lot of money and you you go into debt and buy another company. Like it's just, you know, what what $40 million company is setting their sights on becoming a hundred million in the next 24 months. Um, who will who will join? Who comes out of that 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 messy middle, as a client of ours loves to say, um, and and joins that that upper echelon? I'm I'm excited to just watch and see. It's going to be interesting. I mean, the top three companies, the, the public three companies, I don't see them doing any acquisitions in the next at least nine months. Um, they've just bitten off a lot right now, and it takes time and energy and and, and skill to integrate a company in. So I just don't see that happening. Um, but as we all know, the mid market has been decimated in the last couple of years, and we're starting to see some of the smaller CRAs combined. Um, I think what um, Iron Creek and what what Philby's group has done, um, you know, by taking some smaller companies and pounding them together, organically growing and going through acquisition, you're going to start seeing a resurgence in the mid market again, which will make new companies for sale in yep. another year or two. So it's all yep. very cyclical. Um, it's interesting to watch it from the outside. I never believed a lot of it being on the inside and being able to take emotion on it, but it's it's truly following the path that most you know most of the textbooks say to follow, um, especially when it comes to private equity. Yeah, and that's and that's the you know the tucking strategy you just described. The first cousin of that is the platform strategy, right? I want to buy companies that are only on TAS. I want to buy companies that are only on Osseo, et cetera, to make that integration lift less difficult. Jason made a great point after we signed the, you know, after we put out the press release and popped the champagne, we still got to combine a couple companies here. That's, that's, that's a real challenge, certainly to the operators on the call. Um, And, you know, Jason, um, you know, the, the, 
something that that I know you speak a lot about, and I'll kind of give you the the floor on this, but the diminishing non-Bob value. Bob is book of business. You know, 10 years ago, your valuation was whatever it was because of intangibles. And, and, and you've spoken a lot on that's not kind of the case anymore. Yep. It's it's a whole different ballgame and it will continue to be a different ballgame with interest rates as high. Once money's free again, it's a whole new, it's, it's a whole different scenario. Um, so it, again, it'd be really interesting to see how these um, private equity firms use leverage and everything else when, they, when they're making these purchases. You know, historically, um, just for a little FYI, private equity is, is, is known for, you know, they'll, they'll, and this is any industry, they'll, they'll buy a company and they have a fund of $100 million. They really only use 10% to put down on the acquisition. They leverage like 90% of it and then use your own balance sheet of the company they're acquiring to pay it to service that debt. Well, that debt is so much higher today and the company has to perform so much better today to service that debt. So I think these things will come down a lot um, you know, in the next couple of years, probably probably three years before it comes back down to where it was, maybe two years. But um, that that'll really show the push for for private equity once again. Yep, yep. Well said. Well said. Uh, all right, let's let's move on to the uh, the gorilla. So yeah, I mean, and wait for the comments to come in. Hitting, <laughs> hitting you, hitting me. It, um, uh, I talked to another smaller end user yesterday that you know was blindsided by going from $55 to $89 um, on their work number fees. And again, it's going to keep happening. Um, they've said it, they've said it in their, in their quarterly meetings and their annual meetings um, that it's part of their strategy. Um, I, I think that CRAs are, it's incumbent upon CRAs to find alternatives and find different ways of doing things and innovate uh, in order to get out of this and not relying on, on this so much. Yeah, you, you know, we um, well for you know we we did our our um, you know we we did a product spotlight on the talent check product yesterday or uh, last last uh, I think last month, and the approach we took with it I said at the beginning of of our um, our webinar today if it touches this industry we're going to talk about it, you know good for the industry, bad for the industry. Our approach is straight down the middle, but if it touches our industry, Jason and I are, 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 are going to share our insights on this. So we'll talk about the talent check product in, in a minute, but what's really interesting and kind of seeing the opinions on that product and the opinions on the work number is they, you know, that you can't separate one from the other. The talent check product could be the best product in the world at the best price point, et cetera. And I think people based on feedback you and I've heard are still gonna be pissed off about it because of the work number. Um, we're hearing, and I, I put in anecdotal here, um, you know, some CRAs are saying, my clients say, just don't use the work number, either figure out a different way, or I don't want the verification, but I have instructions not to do it. The reason I put anecdote, the reason I put it and I reference it as anecdotal is Equifax's earnings reports and their investor calls. They're saying they're seeing no material impact that they're seeing no um, significant changes in behavior. Now that can work a couple ways, more money, fewer orders. It could net out the same. Um, <clears throat> but you know, I'm going to pause for a second because our second special guest has, has joined us. Um, Pam Devada from Cypress Shaw. Thank you for, for making some time for us today. Uh, you're welcome. So nice to see you, Kevin. And I didn't mean to interrupt right when you That's were okay. in the <laughs> in the throes of uh, the gorilla in the room, which is exciting to hear. Um, I get the sense people would rather hear from you than hear about this. So all let's, right. let's, let's well, pivot back and um, we'll, we'll give you the floor for a few minutes. Fabulous. Well, welcome everybody. And I know we're getting ready for the holidays and the end of the year. Um, wanted to just give a very quick brief um, overview um, since I was lucky enough to be asked to be a guest pop-in speaker here. Um, of some of the things that are going on in terms of litigation and, and some of the regulatory compliance issues. Um, we continue to see litigation. It has not slowed down um, at all, both on a class action basis and an individual basis. Um, some new things we're seeing on the horizon, um, you know, we've done a couple of webinars on issues relating to clean slate. Um, so we're, we've seen some new litigation, uh, both in the class context, as well as a single plan of context on clean slate laws. Um, specifically in Connecticut. So it's interesting to see what's going to happen there. 
Um, so really keep abreast um, and make sure that you understand what's going on as it relates to these clean slate laws. Some of them are automatic in terms of their nature. Others of them are much more uh, clunky and manual. Um, so understand that um, as well. But we're looking at that litigation. Um, some other things we've seen is additional litigation in California, both under ICRA as well as the CCCRA. Um, we saw a lot of California cases a few years ago, and, and you know we we made lots of different arguments, both in tenant screening and in, in employment screening, on the basis that those were potentially preempted. Um, and or that there were some unconstitutionality, all of those claims have sort of gone by the way by wayside. But now we're seeing claims um, being brought against both employers as well as um, CRAs specifically related to um, those types of claims. Um, we're still seeing social trace claims uh, on a class action and single plaintiff basis. And the newest sort of area that we're seeing is um, issues as it relates to uh, matching criteria um, and specifically related to those things like developed names and nicknames. Um, so new stuff on the horizon, some old favorites on the horizon. Um, we are seeing, unfortunately, we are certainly seeing a trend of people who have been on one side of the house, meaning really some, um, some plaintiff's counsels who have primarily in the past only sued the big three credit bureaus and or sued um, furnishers under um, allegations only related to credit reports coming in now and making some big waves on what I'll call the other side of the house, which is general um, employment and tenant screening um, cases. So they're suing consumer reporting agencies like yourself. So not just credit reporting agencies, so the big three, but they're really suing uh, consumer reporting agencies now um, who may be reseller of credit. And so we're seeing common known names to those of us who are in the industry that deal with, with credit pieces, but now they're they're making a name for themselves and broadening. Um, unfortunately, we're, we're seeing a lot of that. Um, we have in the past year um, and just in the past two months, we've seen about four new players who we only ever saw on the credit side before. Um, so that is a little bit about a litigation update. Um, and I don't know, um, Kevin or Jason, if there's anything else you wanted me to cover uh, in terms of, you know, some of the, the trends that we're seeing. I know it was short and sweet and to the point, but I, I know we had limited time for me to, to add some some in, insight. I, I tell you, there's there, there's few things scarier than having 14 minutes left on a webinar, six slides to go through, and then giving Pam the floor with an open-ended question. <laughs> Um, no, but that was that that was great, Jason. I'll, I'll I'll let you go first. Yeah, no, we appreciate you dialing in. It was a total last minute thought, but I think next, you know, in 2024, we'll have you on for for a whole uh, webinar, and we can talk and make it interactive and and bring some of the stuff to uh, to our audience. All right. Well, great, everybody. If we don't talk before, enjoy the rest of this awesome. Yeah, I got a question. Don't go yet. Don't oh, go yet. Oh, I'm not going. I'm here. I well, I think I asked you this privately um, at the at the last conference, um, and I'll I'll try and come up with it with the I'll try and phrase it similarly. Is there anything you're seeing with litigation that either the industry is kind of fixed from a practice standpoint, or there's just not enough meat on the bone for plaintiffs to kind of go after anymore? Like, are there things that we were all really worried about five years ago that are kind of Ooh. like, eh? And, well, and I don't want you to, you know, give an uncomfortable answer. Like, if no, no. I mean, the problem is as soon as, as soon as I say that some creative, creative plaintiff's counsel is going to come back after it. Right. I mean, I think that, um, you know, look, we don't see a ton of free file disclosure cases anymore. Right. Um, generally speaking, free file disclosure now or a full file disclosure under 609 is a information gathering uh, tool. So frankly, what's happening is um, if you if you either provide information or you don't provide information, they might throw that on um, as an additional claim, but you're not going to, they're not generally going to bring um, a, a G claim, a 1681 G claim or 609 claim without anything else. Um, so so that that has gone by the wayside. Doesn't mean that you should stop responding to free file disclosures. It just means that we haven't seen that many claims in that area. 
I think over the years, we've seen a lot of things that plaintiff's counsel is going after. We've made adjustments as a, as a, as an industry, like, you know, uh, making sure that you have maximum possible accuracy and sending out, you know, the, the letters, um, you know, so we've made it, we've made some changes, like not including social trace information on the report and not including charges on the national state and the county. And, and because of that, it's probably a reason why some of that litigation has gone away. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point, Jason. I mean, you know, in terms of 613, look, we still get tons of cases that'll have a 607 and a 613 claim. And our response is, we send a 613, here you go. We send a 613, here you go. We send a 613, like, right. you know, or or we didn't, but, you know, and, and then, then they think it's worth more. Um, but it's very nice to be able to say, no, we sent it, here it is. Um, and then, and then move on from that because it, it does, you know, sort of gut the value, um, of their claim. You know, one last thing I'll just say is obviously anytime that you have a dispute claim and the dispute is either not handled within a certain period of time. So not handled within the requisite 30 days, um, and, or there is a situation where we revalidate the information. Um, and then come to find out after a second dispute that indeed it really was incorrect, right? Those cases are always going to be worth more uh, by the plaintiff's bar, uh, whether they really are or not, they're certainly valued more. Right. Yep. Yep. I, I often hear two thoughts in my head at the same time. Pandavada, send the letter. Pandavada. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> my work way. here is done. Yes. And of course, none of this is legal advice. That right. I That's right. Here. Oh, here's my legal disclaimer. I'm just giving uh, my personal thoughts and, and no legal advice or counsel. All right, well, guys. Thank you so much, Pam. See you, Pam. You're welcome. Happy holidays, all. Take care. You too, Bye. Thank you. Bye. And uh, uh, Jason, let's go back to, to Equifax for for a second. I want to make one more point. But you know, Pam Pam had said something. You know, with with, with disputes, and it, it's not often that good compliance can equal good business at the same time. But you know, something we always recommend is you, you get that dispute, hop right on it. We know you got 30 days. We know you can get the extension. Just hop right on it. You have people, you have clients, you have hiring managers. It's just good business. Tackle it as, as quickly and as well as you can. Yep. Um, so just, just the last, last two points I, I wanted to make here before Pam hopped on. Um, some CRAs are reporting to us through not only um, conversations, right, qualitative, but quantitative through our 175 CRA industry survey, which we'll we'll give you the broad strokes on in a second. That yeah, they're 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 making some changes. They're they're upset. Um, Equifax is not reporting that as a material impact. Um, again, I'm not an analyst, but just based on what I hear and read, I'm not seeing it. Um, and and the last thing, again, a nod to 2024. We're going to talk more about this. What what I don't think should scare us about the talent check product is the price. I think, and 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 Jason, you know, you chime in. I don't think we should be scared at $140. I think we should be scared at $40. And I don't mean we, I just mean CRAs. Like, yeah, no, I think you know, you know, there's a use for the product and it depends on the price and the market will dictate that. Yeah, this becomes a $40 product. And then again, not into 2024. Why do I need you, CRA? Right. I'm just going to go there. At $140, yeah, maybe not. At 19 bucks? Yeah, I, I'm, I, people are going to ask the question. Yeah. Um, so Jason, what do, what do you see here? The, the next couple slides as, as we wrap up, um, we're sharing some of the um, some of the results from our summer pulse of the industry survey around new products, revenue growth, et cetera, um, that people had reported throughout the year. Uh, again, I'm just, I, I'm hearing, I'm definitely seeing and hearing uh, upticks in some new services like monitoring and social media screening. Um, I, you know, I have some knowledge of some of the, of, of the insides of what's going on, some of these vendors and they're growing. Um, so that tells me that people are buying it and there's, there are new uses for it. Um, beyond that, um, I have no other comments about that. Yep. Yep. No, I'm, I'm still, I'm still, uh, last half empty on monitoring. Yep. Which I've said for years, if, if monitoring comes, I don't remember whose IPO it was, but it was something like monitoring post-hire can be like as big as or you know 80 percent of what pre-hire is and i was like i will streak naked through the exhibit hall at pbsa <laughs> post-hire ever gets close to that yep just don't see it identity feel different now that's also not post-hire but right I don't, that, I don't feel that way about monitoring it's an amazing concept the math is still really really hard 
because you lay it out across 100% of your employee base, not the 15 to 20% of people that you screen because they're new hires. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's move. Let's let's run through these uh, pretty quickly. Um, revenue, CRAs are growing. I do think this is a macro micro. Um, some of the larger companies have adjusted downward their guidance. I think that's more reflective of the macro environment now. Um, smaller CRAs live in a micro environment. You land a big client that is a meaning material impact for you. Um, some are doing really really well, but I would say you know, Jason, I think. Um, where we kind of land on this is is plus or minus five percent as an industry is where twenty twenty three revenue is. Yep. All right, let's keep going. What jumps out here? Or anything to jump on the last one? Um, no, I think I think um, I one of the things that really interests me about the industry right now is you're still seeing competition coming in. Um, and, and to me, and I, I'm only mentioning because you have it in, in, in the second bucket here, um, competition is good because it validates it. It validates what we're doing. Um, and if you still have fresh companies getting into this business, that tells me a lot. Um, but I think the company CRAs today have to be, have to be, um, conscious of that and understand that there's people coming into this industry with new ways of doing things, uh, new technologies and everything else. You gotta be ready to prepare for that. Yeah, what what's the barrier to entry in our space? The the Not, the, the barrier it's intellectual. Yeah, I, I mean, you need, a, you need a Nevada PI license if you're doing any background checks in that state. Other than that, um, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 uh, it's it doesn't take a lot to start a CRM. I need to find a platform, and I need some capital to hire staff and salespeople, and I need to know you know which lawyers to partner with, and I I need to know on the operation side, and I, I you know a lawyer can't review every consumer report that goes out the door, so I got to hire somebody who can do that. But to me, it's it you know there's there's no physical infrastructure costs anymore. Certainly now that we're pivoting to a more remote environment. Yep. Okay, um, technology, a little surprising. Um, you know, we, we, we talked for about the percentage of the industry relative to percentage of, of CRAs. Most CRAs work on third-party platforms. Uh, most of the money goes through um, proprietary systems. Um, common feedback we continue to hear, and, and, and we had a comment a few minutes ago about identity and, and one of the platforms. Um, still really worried about the innovation or, or, or lack thereof. Um, from from platforms, yeah. Uh, so a little nod to the twenty twenty four webinar, but that that continues to kind of um, worry me. Um, employee headcount again, like I mentioned in the beginning, you know, I'm seeing signs of people hiring. In fact, uh, for those of you looking, I'm going to be posting a bunch of new sales positions today, real positions. Um, so keep on a lookout for that on LinkedIn. Um, we're starting to see sales hiring. That's fantastic. Yeah. And the thing that just continues to to frustrate me the most, and I, I understand there's there's humans involved, there's 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 families, there's relationships, but organizations that are not replacing team members with somebody better, stronger, it it it, it will only uh hinder your your business's ability to grow and compete. That's what you want. That's okay. I do not judge. I know a sub $5 million company very well outside of our industry that is very comfortable with the team they have. They know they can get better. They know they can make money. They know they can sell more and make more profits. And they just are happy where they are. That's okay. As long as there's a logical, like, as long as you understand that, I'm fine. If you're struggling and you're like, well, why aren't I? Man, sometimes the mirror is a scary place. <clears throat> We talked about monitoring and we have a minute left. So I'm going to kind of. Yep. And very divergent on monitoring. Monitoring is like, yep, I'm doing it. Nope. I, it, it's really hard. So I think there's an opportunity for the um, the vendors and the, and the data providers to help. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have to be co-marketing initiatives, but just help me talk about it better. That's, that's okay. something the survey found. Um, uh, let's mention our sponsor one more time. Yeah, and again, thanks to thanks to Argyle. Before we finish up on what's next over the next couple of months, uh, again, Argyle is a uh, payroll connectivity platform. Uh, they are PBSA accredited, and their verifications cut costs, speed up turnaround times, and can minimize manual processing. Argyle.com if you're interested in in learning more. So thanks to them for sponsoring today. And what's next? We have a couple things on the horizon. Jason, take us take us through. We have an actual. We've grown up. 
Uh, we've matured. We have an editorial schedule for next year. We've got a bunch of topics we wanted to discuss on top of the ad hoc stuff that just comes up. Uh, we're going to continue doing our product spotlights. So if you're interested in spotlighting a new product, give me a ring or give Kevin a ring or an email, and we can get you on the list as a, as a sponsor. Um, but we're really going to start focusing on, on, on actually as good as the content's been, I think, and I've gotten lots of compliments on our webinars. Um, we, we have some more structure to it going forward. So I'm excited about what next year is going to bring. Yeah, I, I am as well. Um, you know, all of the, all of our events are converted to audio and they're on the background check radio podcast. So I encourage you to download, subscribe uh, like that as an option wherever you get your, your podcast. As we hit the end of the year, I know organizations sometimes have either personal training budgets or just the money they haven't used. There's some charitable opportunities, tax deductions that that we're considering. We don't have to do the work you know, in the next three weeks, you can do it next year. But I know sometimes there's use it or lose it um, scenarios with people. And in recognition of that, we'll space out the work. And, you know, we're, we're just happy to help any way possible. Um, and the industry research and reports that we publish continue to to be something that are that are asked about. Again, there's 400 CRAs in our space. Jason and I try and track every one of them, company size, areas of concentration, um, marketing, what percentage of companies are marketing turnaround time, what percentage of companies are marketing uh, accuracy or technology, how can you fit relative to what our competitors are doing? So uh, that stuff is really, really interesting to us. And, and there's a number of people who ask us for that. If you're one of them, just just give us a call. All right. Well, thanks, Kevin. I'm going to call you a little later on to debrief. And uh, thanks, Rudy, for listening. Have, everybody have a happy uh, new year and a happy holidays. And uh, we'll see everybody next year. Thanks, everyone. Take care.